Would you pray with me? Loving and gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, our rock and redeemer. Amen. Cultivating joy. So this is the third week of Advent, and the theme this week is joy. Now, as much as we may expect this season to naturally instill in us a sense of joy, there are plenty of times during Advent when we may not feel so joyful. There are moments of stress that arise from pressure to meet deadlines, to purchase gifts, mail cards, or prepare for special events. Moments of frustrations caused by having to wait in long lines or deal with impatient people around you. And there's anxiety at the prospect of having to interact with a distant relative that you usually may not get along with. Or there may be sadness, as we mentioned earlier, brought on by an unwelcome change of life events, such as the loss of a loved one or a change in life circumstances. These are common scenarios that many people experience. So we may ask ourselves, how do we cultivate joy in the midst of this holiday frenzy? I think a good starting point is to consciously focus on the original intention of the holiday season, preparing for the coming Christ child. If you take a moment to think about it, the source of our stress and frustration, anxiety and sadness, they're not tied to Christ. They're bound up in issues and expectations from the culture that what society tells us that we need to do or need to be in order to have joy during the holidays. But the real source of joy during Advent is the anticipation. The anticipation of the gift of grace and salvation, among other things, that come with the birth of Christ. This is what the world looked forward to in the first century when Jesus was born. And it's what we continue to look forward to today. In the passage that we read from the Gospel of Matthew this morning, we hear of messengers from John the Baptist who approached Jesus to ask him if he was truly the Messiah, the anointed one who would save his people. Well, wait a minute, you might be asking yourself. Jesus didn't answer them directly, by the way. Instead, he couched his answer in the prophetic words of Isaiah, which he read from the Old Testament a little, we read from the Old Testament a little earlier. Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Those with the skin disease are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the poor have good news brought to them. And blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. A good part of this response refers closely to Isaiah 35, 5 and 6, where the, the prophet, which we read earlier, the prophet announces what will happen when the Savior of the Jews arrives. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be opened. Then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the speechless sing for joy. These are the telltale signs of the Messiah. So Jesus lets John the Baptist and his disciples discern for themselves whether Jesus is the real Messiah or they should wait for someone else. 
Now you may be asking yourself, why does the Gospel of Matthew raise these questions of identity between Jesus and the followers of John the Baptist so late in the Gospel narrative? I mean, didn't earlier John already acknowledge Jesus as the Messiah? In Matthew chapter 3, we read from chapter 11 earlier, verses 13 through 15, there's a description of what happened when Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan River to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now. For it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. John the Baptist saw Jesus as the Messiah who would baptize with the Holy Spirit. Well, John could only baptize with water. So why does John have such doubts in the gospel narrative at this point? Perhaps it has to do with the preceding verse of the Isaiah prophecy, verse 4, where it says, Say to those who are of a fearful heart, be strong, do not fear. Here is your God. He will come with vengeance, with terrible recompense. He will come and save you. Now, perhaps John was expecting Jesus to come with vengeance, demanding terrible retribution for the suffering the righteous had endured. But this is not what happened. Instead of vengeance, Jesus came in a spirit of loving compassion and understanding. Yes, Jesus was able to manifest the expected conditions that proved that he was the Messiah, but he didn't do it in the manner that many people of that time expected. Rather than overcoming violence with greater violence, Jesus subverted animosity, greed, arrogance with love. Is this practical? Does this make sense? It may not have seemed practical to most people at that time, but it worked. Jesus ushered in a new era where salvation and grace were made available to all who worship God in the spirit. And it was done through loving compassion. Over the centuries, people have posed this same question that John did through his disciples. Is this path offered by Jesus really the way to bring about life from death? Where joy can emerge from distress and frustration, the fear and anger and pride? Or as Isaiah put it, where waters break forth in the wilderness, streams in the desert, the burning sand becoming a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. Where the haunt of jackals become a word a swamp and the grass becomes reeds and bushes. The practicality of Jesus' approach to life is something many of us still struggle with today, even in small ways, maybe especially in small ways. When the stress levels arise during the holidays because of some ordeal encountered while shopping or even driving to the store, we might feel the need to confront or correct the source of our frustration. Usually the ensuing arguments don't result in much joy, even if you're right. The consequence is usually someone ending up with hurt feelings who may look for ways to achieve their view of appropriate vengeance at a later time. 
This kind of scenario simply leads to more negativity. At times like this, patience is often a better course of action. In today's passage from James, the brother of Jesus, James urges his disciples to practice patience. In the passage from James, James was specifically urging the disciples to be patient for the return of Christ, but he was also telling them to be patient with each other. The first century Christians believed Jesus would return quickly to judge the world, but as the decades passed, they realized the day of judgment was not coming as soon as they expected. As the first generation of disciples began to grow older and pass away, some began to have doubts that Jesus was the Messiah whom they had been waiting for, just as John had wondered. But James urged them to pers persevere in their faith and be patient. He taught them to treat each other with the kind of love and compassion that Jesus had taught them to share. Like a farmer cultivating crops, the disciples should practice patience, cultivating a life that leads to the kingdom of heaven. This is the hard road that leads to the narrow gate where a truly meaningful life can eventually be found. Despite the mistakes that we make sometimes of being impatient or failing to recognize the right path that Christ has for us, we can be assured that we can return to the path that leads to life through the grace that Jesus has made available to us. We see this grace and work throughout the gospel, including the second half of this gospel passage we read earlier in Matthew. After Jesus answered the question of doubt from the disciples of John the Baptist about his identity as the Messiah, he addressed the crowds who were listening to the conversation. He asked them why they went into the wilderness. What were they looking for? If they went out to find a prophet, then they were successful because they found one. But John was more than a prophet. He was a prophet who was fulfilling an earlier prophecy. His presence was foretold by the prophet Malachi, who wrote, I am sending my messenger to prepare the way before me. Despite the questions and second guesses about whether Jesus was really the Messiah, Jesus recognized John the Baptist as the greatest among those born of women. John's curiosity and quest for understanding did not diminish his stature in Jesus's eyes. In his search for understanding, John was not only refining his understanding of who Jesus was or is, he was also refining his understanding of who the Messiah is. Jesus was and is the Messiah, the one whom John had been waiting for. And we can also say that the Messiah is somewhat different than what John maybe had expected. Rather than a vindictive conqueror, the Messiah was more of a loving parent. Considering the, expression, the admiration that Jesus expressed for John, I assume that John eventually got it. He was accepted by God through the grace and salvation that was offered by Christ. This is the kind of good news that, the true, that we experience today that brings us true joy. 
despite the mistakes that we may have made or the doubts that we've expressed, Christ is willing to work with us, to guide us toward the truth and forgive our mistakes and misjudgments. Accepting this gift of grace leads to the kind of joy that was described by Isaiah in the final verse of today's passage from the Old Testament. And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. This is the kind of joy we can expect to experience with the coming of the Christ child this Christmas season. So I invite you today to purposefully think about preparing for the coming Christ child on Christmas morning. It's not about giving gifts or receiving the perfect gift or having the best decorations or having the best lawn or throwing the most impressive party or making sure that every aspect of the holiday experience is exactly what you wanted it to be. It's about the coming Christ and the perfect gifts of grace and salvation that God made available through him, available to us through his crucifixion and resurrection. Remembering this purpose of Advent will help us, I think, cultivate joy that we may be seeking as we draw closer and closer to Christmas morning. Amen.